And a good Saturday morning to you around 745 here on CCO. That means it's time for another wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Is this summer or is it fall, Jack? But we'll take it either way. Uh, Whatever it is, we'll take this nice span of one wonderful weather. I don't know if the deer hunters like it, but... uh, Probably not. I think they like it. It's sort of like duck hunters. They like it when it's rainy and overcast and crummy. And uh, when you have a bluebird day, which is a day like today, you don't like it. I think the deer may be the same thing. They don't move around as much. It's too warm. But well, what what can we talk about today? You know what? Today I thought we'd talk about it. We'd revisit something. I get hundreds of uh, inquiries through the year about questions about wine. So I thought I'd answer some of them. Uh, some of them we get all the time, and I'll go right back to them. One is, what is the best glass? Well, the one that's in your hand, obviously. But seriously, the really best glasses are made by Spieglau and Riedel. And Riedel owns Spieglau, so it's basically the same company. And they make very, very good wine glasses. However, uh, you know, I've always been a little leery of too expensive a wine glass where the stem is hundreds of dollars. Uh, You're more worried about dropping the glass and breaking it. Uh, better off to drink something that, out of a glass that won't break the bank. A few dollars of uh, glass stem is good enough. What you really want when you're to taste wine is you want a bowl that's at least 12 ounces. Uh, and the stem is basically to keep the heat of your hand off of the body that holds the wine. And, of course, you don't never use it the full 12 ounces in the bowl, that's kind of the minimum, I think, about 12 ounces. You put maybe four ounces in there is about an average serving. of, And that gives you two-thirds of the glasses empty because so much of the appreciation of wine is in the olfactory senses, from the sense of smell and that. So that's my idea. 12-ounce stem glass would be about perfect, although I've had some wonderful... Wonderful wines in my life out of what I'd call a jelly jar. They're funny little glass. You usually get them in Italian restaurants in the Italian countryside. Another one I get all the time is I have a wine stain in a pillow or a wine stain on my couch and whatever. What can I do? Well, there's a product out there called Wine Away, and believe me, I have no interest in the company. I wish I did. It is the best wine remover there is. It's called Wine Away. It's citrus-based, and I have had hundreds of experiences where people couldn't get a wine, a red wine stain out of a white uh, or, or just even a printed fabric, and you spray this a wine away on it, and by golly, it just disappears, and you throw it in the laundry, and it's like there was never a wine stain to begin with. It's called Wine Away. It's not terribly expensive, and uh, you can get it all sorts of places. Of course, you can get it at Haskell's, too. Uh, another person asked me, you evaluate wines, and you said there are three or four items. What are they? Well, they're actually five items, uh, the, and they are as follows. Color aroma, bouquet, taste, and aftertaste. And every single rating on any single wine is based on those five elements. You look at the color, you look for the aroma, then the bouquet. And to explain that, aroma and bouquet, aroma is basically, uh, does it smell like wine? Bouquet is a little more complicated. What varietal is in there? And then the taste you have in your mouth, and then the aftertaste after you swallow it. And if those five things are in sync, 
you can rate the wine accordingly, whatever rate you want to give it. But those are the five things. And as I mentioned earlier, that's why it's best to have a big bowl on your wine glass so you can take those two of those things, a Roman bouquet, have to do with your olfactory sense. And uh, so it's very important to have uh, the, a glass that there's a lot of space in so you can swirl it around and let those aromas escape. How do I feel about screw caps? Uh, well, actually, I've become a believer in them through the years. I think fine wine will never do very well in a screw cap. In fact, I remember the current California governor, when he was mayor of San Francisco, uh, started a winery and was called Plump Jack. And Plump Jack made a $100 Cabernet. And they put a screw cap on the top, and what did you imagine might happen? They stopped selling the wine. No one would pay $100 for a screw cap wine. Now, that was back in the mid-'90s, so it's some time ago. But the simple fact of the matter is, Stelvin or screw caps are really very functional and efficient, particularly on inexpensive wines. When you get into more expensive wines, I think you want the wine to be able to age. I remember when I had a vineyard, we did an experiment once on a corked wine uh, where you cork closure or we use a screw cap closure. And the screw cap closure kept the wine almost like the day it was bottled. It was very fresh, nice, and everything else. However, in testing the wine over a couple of years, the wine that had the cork in it began to age and develop and develop different nuances, and it was absolutely wonderful. And the screw cap one stayed just the same, So, it, which is a very good thing for inexpensive wines. Not such a good thing if you're buying an expensive wine and you want to age it. You want that. There is a little bit of air that goes through uh, a cork, believe it or not, and that minute amount of air is enough to help the wine age and mellow out a great deal. And that's why and how I feel about screw caps versus corks. Uh, Both have their place, no question about it. What's my favorite wine? The one that's in my glass at the moment. I love all kinds of wine. I would guess you'd call me a Burgundian because I think that the best red wine in the world comes from Burgundy in France and from the Pinot Noir grape. Uh, But uh, there's so many wonderful wines, whether you're drinking a Malbec or a Cabernet Sauvignon uh, or a Sangiovese or Tempranillo, etc. All those are wonderful wines, and I enjoy them all, but I guess, as I said, my favorite one would be the one that's in my glass at the moment. Uh, What about aged wine? Well, you know, so little of the wine of the world is aged. About 95% of the wine is drunk the year it's produced in the world. And that's an amazing statistic. So aged wine is only 5 to 8% about, of all the wines that are produced. And so it isn't so important. And it's amazing to me, people will call me, I found a bottle of 1929 leaf brown milk in Grandpa's cupboard. What should I do with it? Well, probably pour it down the drain, maybe save the bottle because it's an antique bottle, but the wine won't be any good any longer. Wine is a really durable item, but indeed, uh, it doesn't last forever like a lot of people seem to think. It's uh, got a very finite lifespan. 
How do lines get their names? Well, that comes from a lot of things. Naming lines can come from the varietal. You can get, you know, a Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon, or you can get a Rick Foreman Chardonnay. That's the varietal. Then there are place names like Chianti. That's an area in Italy. Or uh, Burgundy. There's an area in France. So the wines get their name, can get it from the varietal, from the place, and then there's the wonderful fantasy wines, which I happen to love. For example, Leafbrow Milk literally translates virgin mother's milk, which is sort of an oxymoron, but it is available. And the other one is a favorite of mine from Italy called Est, Est, Est. And the story there was that a bishop from Germany had to go to Rome, and he'd sent ahead his servant to mark where the food and wine was very good. And he would, if he liked it, he was to chalk on the post outside the inn the word Est. Well, he got to this little town in Italy, and he liked it so well, he wrote Est three times. And thus, the area developed uh, the fantasy name Est, 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 and it stayed that, and it's still available today. Uh, what's the best corkscrew? Well, the the worst one, in my opinion, is the ones with the phalanges on the side where you press them up and down, uh, you whoever has stayed in a, a rental unit someplace, you always find one of those in the drawer but with, with one of the phalanges broken. So a good corkscrew is basically, there's one that we get from Australia, which has a foil cutter built in the handle, and I like that a lot because you can cut the foil right off and use it like a regular corkscrew. And then there's the double corkscrew, which seems to work very nicely. Uh, you put on one hinge a little bit up, then you use the bigger one, takes it all the way out, and that's pretty good. And then there's the screw pull, which is a good one to use, particularly for somebody who has arthritis or something. Uh, that screw pull is a remarkable uh, corkscrew, and it has a tef Teflon worm in it. The worm is the curlicue part of the corkscrew, and that Teflon just seems to load right into the wine very, very nicely. Uh, what Can you recommend an affordable sparkling wine? Well, there's lots of sparkling wines out there. One of the ones you really can't go wrong on, in my opinion, is Spanish Cava. It's always moderately priced, mostly under $10 and under, and it's a good one for a big crowd for sparkling wine. Uh, there's lots of other ones. You know, I, I happen to be very fond of Cremant's Boyo. Uh, makes a sparkling Cremant uh, and a sparkling Rosé Cremant uh, and that he makes in Burgundy that is absolutely wonderful. Boyo Brut and Boyo Rosé, and they're real affordable. I mean, you know, champ sparkling wine, if you're buying champagne, you're going to pay well north of $30 to get anything, and to get something really good, you're probably going to pay close to $50. So affordable sparkling wines for a big reception, nothing wrong with using the, that Spanish cava. It's inexpensive, it's delicious, and it's actually pretty good. Temperature. Now that's, people always ask me about the temperature wine should be at, and in my opinion, uh, red wine should be served at about 65 degrees, and white wine's about 45 degrees. Now, you don't have to have a thermometer or anything like that. A quick way, to, incidentally, to chill wine is get a bucket, uh, a wine bucket, 
fill it half up with ice cubes and then fill it almost all the way up with water, at least three-quarters away, then put the bottle in there, spin it around and let it stay in that water for about 10 15 minutes and the wine red white wine will be at a perfect temperature if you want to do it with red wine drop it in there for like two or three minutes is all and it'll be right but red wine was never meant to be served at room temperature when the room temperature is 75 degrees it should be a little cooler than that even great red wine shouldn't be served at uh, room temperature especially if you're dining al fresco and it's 80 degrees outside that's entirely too warm for even the best uh, wines in the world. Well, there you have it. There's a lot of, of wonderful questions out there. I hope I've answered a few of them here. You remember this, drink the wine you love and then love the wine you're drinking. And believe me, you'll enjoy yourself and you'll have a wonderful time. Uh, learning about wine, incidentally, is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, there's so many good sources, books, and things like that. I always tell people the atlas that uh, uh, Johnson, Hugh Johnson, wrote is a wonderful thing, and it covers every wine-producing area in the world. I think they're on their fifth revision. He even has vineyards in India and China. Mm. He's always updating it. So it's a great reference book, uh, Hugh Johnson's Wine Atlas. All right. Great information as usual, Jack. Well, tell us what's going on at Haskell's this weekend. Well, today is the last, or I'm sorry, tomorrow actually is the last day of Haskell's fall wine sale. And it's a fabulous sale. Hundreds and hundreds of wines on sale. Your favorite spirits, beers, seltzers, they're all on sale and you can pick them up at Haskell's. And, you know, the folks at Haskell's love to answer your questions about wine. Uh, And, They'll pick a wine that'll go perfectly with whatever you're doing. If maybe you're uh, preparing some venison, because today is deer opener, uh, stop in and see the folks at Haskell's. They'll help you pick a wine, maybe from the Rhone Valley, that'll just be a perfect accompaniment to that venison. They can't cook the venison, but they can ensure that the meal is memorable. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington. There's a Haskell's in Excelsior, right off of 35 in Faribault. Maple Grove Supercellar is not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Haskell's in Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury as well. And if you can't come in, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, Haskell's does deliver, and we can send out anything you want on the last two days of our fall sale. Excellent. Jack, let's talk again next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thank you, Jack.